Hey, Hills Church, how's it going? It is great to get to be with you, and I'm really excited for this weekend as we kick off a brand new series called Self-Portraits. Welcome to everybody who's joining us live at one of our campuses at South Lake, West Fort Worth, or at NRH, or if you're joining us online or maybe later on podcast. Wherever you're listening from, if you are brand new, today's a great day for you to get to be here. Whether you're new to the hills or maybe you're new to church and just kind of checking out this whole faith thing, uh, this is a great weekend because we're starting a brand new series. And so we're all going to be starting from the same place today. And even what we're looking at is going to help give you some insights to some of the basic things that we Christians believe. So if you're kind of checking out Christianity We love that you're here, and also this is a great, great place to start. And as we kick off this new series, we're calling it Self-Portraits, even though it's about the Holy Spirit, which is kind of a, may may seem like a contradiction uh, initially. So to kind of set up the series, let me tell a a quick story from uh, one of my favorite theologians and authors named Gordon Fee. He writes about a time where he was just attending church one day, and he's there on a Sunday, sitting next to his wife, and all of a sudden the minister calls up all the kids in the congregation, calls them to the front of the stage, and the minister begins to teach the children about the Holy Spirit. So the minister begins with with a fundamental uh, truth about the Holy Spirit, and tells the children that the Holy Spirit is not a thing, not a force, but a person, because the Holy Spirit is God's personhood in spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, he says to the children, is a person. And the children listen quietly, but they look a little bit confused. And so, and so the minister says, well, the Holy Spirit's a person, but different than a person like Jesus, because Jesus could be seen. But the Holy Spirit, the minister tells these quiet children, is invisible. Well, as soon as he says this, that the Holy Spirit's invisible, a six-year-old boy blurts out for the whole congregation to hear, but I want the Holy Spirit to be uninvisible. And when I read that story, I thought, I can relate to that boy. Like, my journey of faith has definitely been a wrestling with who is and how do I understand the invisible Spirit of God? Because God's Word has a lot to say about the Spirit. And at the same time, we kind of have a lot of questions that wasn't just true for me. I, I, I realized that that was true for so many of, of us as a church when I preached a couple messages last year on the Holy Spirit out of the book of Ephesians. And then I had a number of you come up and talk to me in the weeks and months since those sermons and say, man, that, that was really helpful, but I still had this question. Or, and you just shared that the Holy Spirit had often been a source of confusion for you in your faith. And that kind of sent me to study more and think, okay, in a world that's so visually driven— in a world where our phones are our cameras and where uh, Instagram and visual-oriented platforms are so popular, are there ways that we can see and better understand the Holy Spirit? Has God given us those? And so this, as I started to study, I started seeing some of these images, and that's what we're going to look at in this series. So here is a founding principle for everything that's going to follow. God gave visible pictures of His invisible Spirit. While the Holy Spirit is difficult for us to understand as part of who God is, God made sure to include in His Word these different visuals. And so I started seeing these images of breath and water and fire, and, and, and I started realizing, like, hold on, what is a self-portrait? A self-portrait is an author or, is, or an artist in charge of rendering themselves. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical writers. And so in a way... The Holy Spirit inspired these self-portraits, these images of the Spirit for us to better understand who the Holy Spirit is 
and what the Holy Spirit can do and is doing in our lives and in this world. And so, we're going to begin with what is arguably the most famous image of the Holy Spirit. But I'll confess that when I started studying for this series, this was the sermon I least expected to be preaching. And yet I realized it was one of the most important ones to start the series because this image of the Holy Spirit is incredibly unique and only happens in one place in history. But it's also ubiquitous. It's everywhere you look. I, I googled Holy Spirit this week and then I clicked on images. You know, what, 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 what was there? Well, this is what I saw on my desktop. Over and over and over again, there was the dove. Again and again. And it, and it just like it's become kind of in Christian culture sort of like the go-to thing for the Holy Spirit. Like you see that on the branding for like the, you know, online like televangelist ministries and other uh, Christian organizations and even on products and, you know, Bible book covers and stuff like that. So, so some would ask, and I don't blame you, why? Like how did that come to be the way that the Holy Spirit is identified? And if, if that's a question that you have, if that's something you've wondered before, we're going to explore that today. We're going to look at the moment where the Holy Spirit was inseparably tied to the image of a dove. Just a side note as we jump in to some texts. Normally I like to camp out in one place for, for a sermon from a, from a textual standpoint. That is not today. We're going to move a lot. So just be aware. I'm warning you note takers out there. Whatever campus you're watching or if you're online, uh, we're going to move fast. So you may just want to write references. So here, here's the moment. The moment in history when the Holy Spirit was connected with a dove. As soon as as Jesus was baptized, the gospel of Matthew chapter 3, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, Matthew's not the only writer to record this moment. Mark, in, in the, the, the second gospel in the order we have in our Bibles, uh, records the same thing in chapter 1. Listen to Mark's telling. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, Matthew and Mark have a lot of similarities in how they record this moment. And one of the similarities is that both of them say that Jesus, specifically Jesus, saw the heavens opening and the dove descending. And so if, if we only had two Gospels, you could kind of make the argument, hold on, if only Jesus saw this, like, did it, did it really happen? Could it, could it have just been some sort of like spiritual vision, some mirage in which the Spirit descended? And it was really still a spiritual moment, and, it, and, it, and like the dove was sort of a vision. Now, thankfully, we don't have just two Gospels. God gave us a couple more. And so, in the order in our Bibles, you've got Matthew, and then Mark, and then what's that third Gospel? Luke. And so, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, it's actually in the third chapter of Luke, that the moment is recorded again. When Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven 
came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So Luke includes this all-important detail that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form, that this was a physical manifestation of the presence of God's Spirit. And yet still, these three Gospels record this as if it is an exclusive moment between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, so was it something that anybody else saw? Was it, was it something that, that happened or was observable, or was this just between Jesus and, and God? Well, once again, we have our fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And John doesn't record the, the moment the same way that the others do. In fact, John doesn't specifically record the baptism. What John records is the testimony of the one who baptized Jesus. Happens to be a prophet named John the Baptist. Look at this in John 1, verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. So someone other than Jesus witnessed this moment, saw the dove the Spirit descend as a dove in bodily form on Jesus. And, and John the Baptist says, the Spirit didn't just come down, the Spirit remains on Jesus. So what, what's going on? Like, why this particular image? Why a dove? I mean, when I was reading, when I was studying for this message, which I did a lot of reading because it's all in all four Gospels, I was asking this question, and, and what I realized very quickly is it's kind of a puzzle because this is the only place in history, where the Holy Spirit is associated with a dove. In the story of God and his people, a dove is never used related to the Holy Spirit, except for this one moment. Like, the dove's used for other connections, even the nation of Israel, elsewhere in Scripture. But in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, anywhere else, this is the only place. So why this one-time occurrence? The more I study, the more I believe that it's because it was marking a one-time event. This was the first public appearance and the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. This was his debut. L- let me just think about it in this way for a moment. It's, it's, a, it's a lesser metaphor, but I think it still helps. So when a film debuts and, and they have their opening night, uh, usually, you know, they've got the red carpet and they've invited the, the director and the producers and the stars from the movie, but then they invite a lot of other people from Hollywood, a lot of other big names. And so when, the, when people walk the red carpet, everybody's taking these pictures and the, the bigness, the significance of the debut is based on who showed up for it. It's not just that the people who worked on the movie, it's the people disconnected, but the fact that they decided to show up. So if you only get B-list or C-list celebrities to come, not necessarily that big of a movie debut. But if the big names come out and walk the red carpet, if they're there and they have nothing to do with the movie, they just want to be part of it, then you know that was a blockbuster event. In a much grander sense, when Jesus debuts the beginning of his ministry in this baptism to anoint him and begin his work, all of God, every form he has shown himself to humanity in, shows up as a way to say this is a huge deal. Before we get to the self-portrait of the dove, we need to acknowledge that this is a family photo of the divine Godhead. 
that you have the Son in human form in Jesus. You have the Spirit in the form of a dove, and you have the Father who is the voice from heaven. We, we, we cannot miss that this is this incredible moment where we see the nature of God on full display, where we see the Father who speaks, and when He speaks, not only is He powerful enough to tear the heavens, but when He speaks, He speaks love. And we see a God who is full of love. In the Son, we see Jesus who has come to save sinners. And so in His baptism, this baptism, what was it? It was a baptism of repentance. You, were, you, you got baptized with John the Baptist if you had something you needed to repent for, to apologize for, to say, I was wrong in my sin. That's what baptism signified, this washing away of sin. But Jesus is sinless. He has nothing to give up. So what is he doing there? The Son is associating with sinners in his baptism, just as he will associate with them in his death. So we see the God who is full of love, the Son who is full of compassion, for sinners like us. And we see the Spirit who, well, why was the Spirit there? What is the point of the Spirit showing up? I promise we'll get to the specific image of the dove, but regardless of what image the Spirit would have shown up in, the presence of the Spirit is significant in this moment for this reason first. The Spirit came to empower Jesus. That's what we need to understand about why the Spirit showed up in this moment. Now, that may sound confusing to some of you, and I I don't blame you. Like, when we start talking about God, it's always going to get a little bit mysterious and confusing because He is bigger and grander than us. Amen? And at the same time, God has presented Himself so that we can understand some basic things about Him. And so part of what we understand is that God's Spirit came to empower Jesus. Now, I don't blame you if you think, hold on, like, isn't Jesus, like fully God, isn't that what you Christian, Christians believe? Yes, absolutely. We believe that he was God in the flesh. So then somebody might ask, why would he need help? If he's God in the flesh, what does he need the Spirit for? Well, we not only believe that he's fully God, we believe he was fully man. And that in his humanity, he relinquished some, some level of power in which he then depended on the Spirit of God to fill him, anoint him, and empower him for his ministry and work. Now that, that may sound like, well, hold on, like, how, how does that work? Look, I don't officially know, okay? I wasn't on the inside of this. But what I can tell you is that Jesus, as the chosen redeemer of God's people, the Jewish word for this is Messiah. As Messiah, the prophecies about the Messiah were that the Holy Spirit would mark the redeemer, the chosen one. And so when Jews longed for the Messiah to come, they they listened and heard prophecies like this about Messiah from Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, just like the dove comes down and remains. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. You see all those attributes tied to the Holy Spirit? See, if, if we believe this prophetic word about Jesus as the Redeemer, then we can just look at some of those things and think, oh, those came from the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, the first, the first attribute, the spirit of wisdom and understanding in that prophetic word. Like, Jesus is one of the most quoted and, and respected teachers in history, even outside of Christendom. 
I mean, you, you could talk to people who are agnostic or atheist or, or Buddhist or from other faith backgrounds, and they, they would say, and I have heard people say who are not Christians, man, Jesus was a, he was a great teacher. He was a wise man. His teachings have impacted the Western world as we know it, and he never even wrote a book. Like, Jesus, so full of wisdom, has, has shaped our history and our cultural ethics. But, but we believe that that wisdom didn't just come from Jesus, but that wisdom was from the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus in his teaching. Like, again, if this feels like too far for you, if you're like, that doesn't, I don't know if I really, okay. What you need to understand is that Jesus himself attested to the fact that God's Spirit was on him and working through him. So I'll give you an example. He, he has his debut at the baptism, but then he really has his debut with a first sermon in the Gospel of Luke, and it's at his hometown. Goes to his hometown synagogue, stands in front of the congregation. Look what happens in Luke 4. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. These are the first words of his first sermon in his hometown. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus continued to read the passage and then in front of this congregation, he says to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was open and confident and proud of the fact that God's Spirit was working in and through him. And if you read all four of the Gospels, you see over and over and over again different places where that is described, that where Jesus is connected to and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Throughout the, the Gospels, he's described as full of the Holy Spirit, empowered to heal and perform miracles by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, and even described as receiving the Spirit without measure. Even when his birth is announced by an angel to Jesus' mother Mary, the angel says that the Holy Spirit will conceive the Messiah. And then when he dies, when Jesus associates with sinners on a cross to pay for sin and then is put in a grave, the Holy Spirit was still not done working in and through Jesus Christ. See, we believe and testify as Christians have since the day it happened that that the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit's power, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So from birth to rebirth, from, from, from the beginning of his life to resurrection and new life, the Spirit is all over Jesus' ministry. And so some of you are listening, you think, that's kind of interesting, but like, so what? Why does that matter? Here's, here's the so what. After Jesus rises from the dead, he tells his followers that he is going to give them and then does impart to them the same empowering spirit that led him through his ministry. Like the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that descended on Jesus is on offer to his followers to lead us. Here's why this matters. Only when we see and recognize a spirit-filled savior will we live into what it means to be a spirit-filled people. Like that's why this matters because far too often I'm trying to follow Jesus in his way of life without relying on his source of strength. 
uh, let me, let's just get real for a second. So I had vacation this last week, which was a blast. Got to meet up with my family. And, uh, and we, were, we were up in the mountains outside of Denver. And it was, it was great. But then um, Friday, my wife and my son, uh, who's two and a half, we, we had to head out. And, and so we had to leave a little bit earlier than everybody else. So I needed to be back to preach. So we start packing up. And, and as we're talking about what's going to happen, we, we realize like they had a, a, a game plan for the afternoon, the rest of my family, my extended family. They were going to go on this awesome like two-hour white, whitewater river float. And then we were going to get in the car and drive two hours to the airport. So that was like, we, we, you know, two roads converged and we had the crummy one. And I was disappointed because I realized I'm missing out on the fun. I had major FOMO. So I'm feeling sorry for myself. We get in the car, we start driving and I'm bummed about that because I'm thinking about all the fun they're going to have. And then we hit rush hour traffic in Denver. We're bumper to bumper. And my wife and I are getting stressed because we're worried now we're going to miss our flight. Like we don't know if we're going to make it. It's getting tense in the car. Like the spirit of Taylor's not doing well. And, and we get to the airport and we park and we run inside and we try and get everything to happen as quickly as we can, which we have a two and a half year old in tow. So it's not going quickly at all. We get to the gate and like we're, we're frustrated. We're a little bit sweaty. I'm grumpy. And, and then we get to the gate just in time to realize the flight's delayed. Like the crew's not there yet. So I'm like, oh my goodness, we just stressed through all that for nothing. And now they finally get us on the plane and we think, okay, we're going to get home. It'll be fine once we just, we just need to get there. And then we sit on the tarmac for about an hour. And I'm the one sitting next to the toddler and it's getting to be his bedtime. And he's kind of melting down and I'm getting frustrated and the spirit of Taylor is not doing well. And Finally, we get home and it's after midnight. And, and like we land here at DFW, it's after midnight. Somebody from our community group picks us up and all of us are just spent. We are just done with this day. Well, now we're even in the new day and we're done with that day too. So, so like, it's just so, we're just frustrated. And then we pull up to our house and we're like, thank you, Lord, we're finally home. And we, we walk inside and it's just so great to come inside from the heat. And then we realize like, why are we still sweating? What's, and our AC has gone out while we were on vacation. And so we discover this at 1.15 in the blessed morning. And the spirit of Taylor is not doing well. So we didn't have to pack our bags because they were already packed and we just went to a hotel. And that was how we finally finished. We were like, forget it. I'm done. I'm done. Now, here's why I tell you that. Because throughout that journey, like I, I just had vacation. I was all rested. I was supposed to be in a great mood. And all it took was a few hours for the spirit of Taylor to run out, to run out of patience, to run out of grace. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm not in a good place. And then I'm getting mad because I'm thinking I'm supposed to be well rested so I can get up and preach about depending on the Holy Spirit. And it was like God just hit me upside the head. Like, you see, Taylor, you see how often you try and operate in your own strength. You see how throughout that, that moment I was thinking, I just need to get through this instead of thinking, God, are you with me in this? Maybe some of us, we, we need to get in the habit of just stopping in little moments and just, just saying like, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm running on empty and I need you right now. Because the Spirit is there with us. That's what Jesus promised to us, that he would not leave us, his words were, as orphans, but instead he would come to us through the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, 
You hear any of those references? It's the same Spirit present with us. That's on offer for you and me to provide strength that we do not have on our own. So for, for anybody who's listening to me who is a follower of Jesus, just let me remind you of this. You were not made to follow Jesus in your own strength. Like, if, if Jesus showed dependence on the Spirit and confidence in the Spirit, let's follow Him in that. Let's follow Him in a dependence on God present with us through the Holy Spirit. Like, let's, let's not be what sometimes I find myself being, which is open but cautious about the Spirit. Some of you heard we were doing this kind of a series, and you're like, oh, it might get weird. <laughs> Especially if, you, if you're raised in a more conservative church background like I was. Like, like it's just like, oh, I don't know. Look, Jesus wasn't open but cautious. Jesus was open and dependent. Open and reliant. Because of that, I need to be, we need to be open and grateful. That's where we need to, that's the posture we need to take. If we're going to follow Jesus, let's follow him in his reliance on the Spirit of God. So that's why the Spirit shows up, and that Spirit is available, that strength is available, and here's the power that's available to you and to me. One church leader, Paul, wrote that that power, the power from the Spirit, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Hill's church resurrection power is available to you and me through the Holy Spirit to make us new, to lead us, to give us strength, to change us so that we can, through God's Spirit leading us, bring a change to our communities, to our neighborhoods, to our families. That is what God wants to do in and through us, and it's available to you and me today. The same Spirit that descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. I told you we'd get there. So why, why that particular image? Why that animal? Well, this is not going to surprise you, most likely, that because this was a one-time occurrence in Scripture, anytime that something only happens once and there's no pattern to work off of, what you get, you go from one time happening to a million theories as to why. So I started researching. I was a little bit frustrated. So if this bursts your bubble, like there's no definitive answer. Uh, I'm sorry. It, it happened to me earlier this week. So there you go. Bubble pop. <laughs> but as I started researching, I, uh, there's still like, well, there's some of these that have more significance to me that, that seem more convincing than others. So let me just give you a, little, a quick survey before I, I tell you what I find most convincing. Some say that the dove depicts the nature of Jesus's ministry that he came in gentleness like a dove. After all, gentleness is in fact one of the fruits of the Spirit. Others say that the dove, it's not really about the fact that it's, it's a dove, it's about the fact that it's a, a contrast to, to help show the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Now, this is how they kind of explain it. Like when God, the creator of the world, comes in human form, he's not like a demigod, he's not Hercules, like he is just a little baby. And then even in adulthood, he's a homeless teacher. Like, it just seems upside down. Well, when the Spirit descends, in the Gospel of Mark, the heavens are torn open. Like, it's like this seismic, cosmic moment. And you think, what thunderous thing is going to come through? And then a little dove floats down. <laughs> like that upside down kind of nature that shows God's power, but also in the way that he comes in ways we don't expect. Others point out that doves were a symbol for Israel in Scripture. 
So maybe it's just that, that Jesus, he is the new Israel, making a new people of God and redeeming Israel. And he's going to succeed where they failed. Others, others even point out that doves were part of the sacrificial system. Now, typically it would have been a goat or a ram or a lamb, but, but if you were poor and you couldn't afford one of those animals, you could offer two doves. And so they make that connection. Others point out and say, well, hold on. The, the dove might be a sign of innocence and purity, that Jesus is the innocent one who's come to die in the place of the guilty, that he is sinless, and yet he comes to save sinners. And what did Jesus tell his followers? Some of you know this, that when he, he was talking to them, he said to be innocent as doves. So maybe it's that. Now, any of those theories have kind of, you know, they make you like, turn your head a little bit like, huh, okay, hadn't thought about that. Interesting. But I'll, I'll tell you what I'm most convinced by, what I find most compelling, that the dove is a symbol and symbolizes creation and recreation. So here's what I believe. I believe that the Spirit came to remake the world. But that's what the Spirit symbolizes in the dove. And here, let me, let me help explain why I find this convincing. Jews and Christians alike agree that God's Spirit was present in making the world. Genesis 1-2 says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Like the, the, the Hebrew is kind of like brooded. And, and then the Spirit, out of this chaos, works with all of the Godhead to create order. Well, the translation that would have been most available in the days when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, when the gospel writers were giving testimony to Jesus, would have been an Aramaic translation called a Targum. I want you to look at this rendering of Genesis 1-2, the Spirit hovering over the waters. In the, in the Targum, the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. That in that day, the most available version of the ancient Hebrew scriptures included this imagery at creation of the Spirit as a dove. That this is a sign that just as at the beginning of creation, the Spirit hovered over the waters to make new life, now, hovering over the baptism waters of Jesus, the dove shows that through Christ, the world will be remade. That new life will be possible. And as Jesus taught his version of this new creation was called the kingdom of God. But it's not just the creation motif that I think ties in with the dove. It's that on top of that, there's another story in Genesis that includes something that I think gives us this important clue. So there's another moment where there is a covering of water, but it's not a traditional baptism. The whole earth, in a sense, is baptized in a flood. The earth is covered in water, and there is only one family preserved on one ark. And the patriarch's name is Noah. So Noah and his family wait and wait and wait and wonder if the waters will ever recede. Will, will God rescue them? Will he save them? Is he still with them? Are they abandoned on this boat forever? And eventually Noah begins to send out birds to try and see if there's anywhere for them to perch. He sends out ravens initially, and they come back with no good news. Then he sends out a dove. And in Genesis 8, verse 11, 
It reads that when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. You see, the dove was a God-given symbol of peace and a sign that new life was now possible. And the dove descending as the Spirit on Jesus is a sign for us that through our Savior, new life is now possible. That he is not making a couple of adjustments to our lives, but like, like Scripture says, like the early church leaders testified, that anyone in Christ is a new creation. And so we help to bring heaven to earth, to remake this world. See, God, when he looks at us as sinners, is not rejecting us, but instead is seeking to recreate us, to give us spiritual renewal and make us new again. So how did, how did this happen? Like, how did Jesus accomplish this? Well, just as he associated with sinners in his baptism and then spent his ministry spending time around people that made others question his character, made the church folk of the day go, I don't know if he should be around those people. And yet Jesus continued to associate with the outsider, with the lowly, with the humble, with the outcast, with people who knew that they had messed up their lives. And then... And then Jesus associated with sinners on the cross. See, in in order to appreciate what Jesus has done for us, we can't just talk about the dove. We have to talk about another aspect of how Jesus was pictured by the man who baptized him. See, John the Baptist, he was the one who baptized Jesus and testified that he saw the dove come down and remain on Jesus. But right before he said that, a couple of verses earlier, here's what John the Baptist said. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John testified that Jesus is not only full of the Spirit, but then paid for the fullness of our sin. Took our judgment on the cross. The innocent one, innocent as a dove, on the cross where his body was broken, his blood was poured out, and he paid for our sin to take it away. But the good news doesn't stop there. After resurrection, when Jesus promises the Spirit, we get, we get transformation available to the followers of Jesus. So here's how I'd sum up this moment and even the work that Jesus is doing by the power of the Spirit. The Lamb takes sin away. The dove brings the Spirit to stay. You understand that we need both for this to be good news. I don't just need my sin taken away. Absolutely I do. I need Jesus to associate with me so that come judgment I can associate with him and say that's where I'm placing my faith. I'm placing my faith in my Savior who died for me, who's taken away my sin. I need that, but I need more than that because back to neutral, I'm going to bent back towards sin. The spirit of Taylor will not last. I need a new spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to transform me from the inside out. And this is how God works. He doesn't just take away the bad. He brings the good to remake us and and to give us new life. That's how God works. If you're part of this church, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about epic grace. Well, epic grace is seen in the Lamb who takes away our sin, who never gives up on us. But then grace doesn't stop there. I was talking with our senior teaching pastor, Rick, about this. He summed it up so well. He said, salvation isn't just forgiveness, it's also formation. 
It's not just that we're forgiven for our sin, it's that we're made into a new creation. So somebody is listening to, to me right now, and you need, you need to be made new. You need the Spirit of God in you. Or you are a follower of Jesus, and you have not been living dependent upon the Spirit. And I pray that over these next few weeks, that as we lean in and as we seek in God's word, illumination of who God's spirit is and what he's doing in us, that you will find new life, fresh faith, encouragement, and that the spirit will tell you again and again, you, if you're saved by Christ, you are God's child now. And the same way he looked at Jesus and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased because of Jesus' saving work, Christian, he looks at you and says, you, you're my daughter, and I'm pleased with you. You are my son, and I delight in you. That approval and affirmation from the Father is won by the Son through the power of the Spirit who descended as a dove. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for taking away our sin. Jesus, thank you for being the Lamb of God for willingly going to die on a cross and then for through the resurrection by the Holy Spirit saying now you get to be part of God's family. God, we don't deserve it and so we thank you. Would you help us, those who are followers of Jesus, to live aware and dependent on the Spirit of God in us? And would you help those who are not yet followers to see who Jesus is, to see him as Savior, as Lord, who wants to save them and take away their sin, but also wants to fill them with the Spirit to live a new life and secure for them a future forever. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.